odd with man's thinking, those that squash those together, and we'll, we'll give you some basic things on refuting that. Uh, but understand, beloved, uh, that it ultimately boils down to faith. And as far as I'm concerned, it takes a lot more faith to believe in some of these theories of evolution, which are widely held by society in the world today, uh, and the, the amount of faith that they have uh, in every aspect of what's being taught uh, is, is mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling that they would take and accept and believe the theories of evolution uh, and only basically because a lot of people said it. Many of the theories that uh, people teach as fact today weren't even in existence 100 years ago. And uh, they're being taught as, as this is what happened. And uh, it's, it's mind-boggling. What I want you to know, we're, we're looking at the great overview. We want to see ultimately what God is doing as a whole. And so we're laying the foundation, taking a little bit more time with that as we get into here, Genesis, uh, in the beginning of our timeline here, Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11 is this general history. We have this happens right here. A lot of things take place, so we're spending a little bit of time here. The book of Genesis and the timeline covers all the way through here uh, to get to uh, the end of the patriarchal history, and then we get into Exodus. We look at this timeline and we think, man, we're closing in on the end of January. Uh, I'm not sure how are we going to get all the way down there by, <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, I think the foundation is taking longer, and maybe we'll progress a little faster as, it, as we move. But these things are, are vitally important. And what I'm saying about the overall picture is we want to see how God, the creator of everything, uh, desired to have fellowship with a creation, that it was in God's plan, God's intent, to build a kingdom over which he would rule. And he created man to rule inside that kingdom with him. He was given dominion over the earth and uh, he wanted intimate fellowship with him. And so God established that. That's what we're looking at here in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the establishment, the building of God's kingdom and what he was desiring as he did so. So we see here, I've got to back up in my notes, um, this, the true story of creation is where we're going to begin uh, looking at this, first of all, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I'll read those, the rest of these as we go through. I would like somebody to read them. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So we are introduced to God here. God created all things. Okay, that is a blanket statement. It is a, uh, we go back to, do we believe the word of God? Sometimes when I'm talking to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ and maybe putting their faith in Christ, it's foundational that they believe the word of God. And I'll say, well, do you believe this is God's word? And, and they'll say yes. And, and, or maybe they say no. And then we have to go back and try and establish that this is the word of God. But that belief is foundational. If you believe the word of God in Colossians 1, verse number 16, he says, for by him, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. I think that's a pretty all-inclusive verse there. It, it pretty much sums up everything, stating that it was all created by God. And if we're going to believe any portion of the Bible, then we have to believe the whole thing. 
the Word of God. We don't get the privilege of cherry-picking and saying, oh, I believe this and I like that about God, and I believe this and I want to I do that. No, we have to take the whole thing. We have to do all of it. And he clearly says here God created it all. Not only does he just tell us that he created it, but in Genesis 1 and 2, we get a description and kind of uh, an explanation as to how he created it. In Psalms 1, 48, verse number 5, he says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. That's how he created it. You will see that as we read through the verses here, um, that God spoke, God commanded, and the world was created. So several things that we learn about God. We're introduced to God here. This is the beginning. Let's pretend nobody here has any knowledge of God at all. And so that's the beginning. This is what we're starting with. So first thing, we learn some things about God at creation. If this is our first introduction to him, just learning about creation tells us some things about God. First of all, we know that God was not created. God was not created. God is and always was and always will be. God is eternal. In Psalms 90, verse number 2, he says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or even thou hast formed the earth and the world, he says, before the, before the mountains were made, or before you formed all of this, he says, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God always was. Everything else, beloved, was created. Including Satan. Including Satan. Now, beloved, there is a battle between good and evil. We understand that. But there is a misconception that I want to make sure you have clear in your hearts and minds. Because we have drawn these images and they are partially based on truth. But they put a wrong thought in our mind. And that is the idea that God is standing on this shoulder and Satan is standing on this shoulder, and somehow there's these two equal entities, good and evil, and they're struggling. There, there, there is a battle between good and evil, and we know that we war with our own flesh with responding to God or the temptations of Satan. But we've got to be careful in our minds that we don't put God and Satan on the same level because Satan was created by God. He is a creation, and he is in no means a God or anywhere near equal to God, doesn't have the power that God has. That's why God says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Yes, Satan has a lot of power. He has dominion in this world, and he has a lot of influence, even in our lives. But let's remember that God created him, and God is in control of him. And we can have victory because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. All of this was created. Uh, the world is Satan's realm, um, but God created him. Uh, we learn, secondly, that God is a trinity. All three parts of the trinity were at present at creation. Uh, we talked about this as we talked about, uh, which is why I kind of dealt with this in the message on creating in God's image, so I could really develop that for you guys and, and focus on it, because I'm not going to have time to focus on it in Sunday school, although we're going to touch on it here. But uh, we see that he, was a tr that he is a trinity. We have at creation, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The, the Father and the Holy Spirit appear in verse number one there, one and two. He says, in the beginning, God. So God's present at creation. 
in verse number one. And then in verse number two, it says, and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. So both God, the father and God, the spirit are present right there. But uh, in John one, I think it's verse number 14, uh, it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. What is that talking about? Jesus Christ, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus came to earth, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But in John chapter 1 and verse number 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So we see there very clearly that God, the Son, the Word of God that was made flesh and dwelt among us was also present when all things were made. Does that make sense? All right, so we see the Trinity there. We also learn that God is all-powerful. I mean, if He created the world out of nothing, and He even created the things that we would look at and say they are nothing, that it's it's not anything at all, but... We, we, we don't even, our minds are such finite things, we can't even comprehend things that aren't things. We're going to talk about it a little bit, but it, it's really beyond my, the circular, circular reasoning and, and stuff like that. It gets beyond my ability. Uh, but the fact is, is God is all-powerful. God spoke the world into existence. Beloved, man's understanding of the universe today is far greater than ever in history. If there was ever a time that should put man in awe of the, the magnitude and the awesomeness of God, it's in the world today. And yet today, people are, are more educated than they've ever been, and yet more ignorant of God than they've ever been. I mean, Aristotle, who obviously was a very smart man, spent many, many years studying the sky, and he determined that there were 10,000 stars in the sky. That's what he deduced after all of his years of study and, and viewing the sky and systematically trying to come up with a count. Uh, well, that's all he could see. With the invention of the telescope, that number continued to grow. And I can't, I, I mean, in the history books, it tells you how, like how many years things changed. Let's just progress all the way to 1973. In 1973, the estimation was that there was a hundred million galaxies each with a hundred million stars. Well, in 1991, with the Hubble telescope, that grew to a hundred billion galaxies. Now, beloved, we can't even comprehend a billion. Do you know if you started counting at five years old that you could not count to a billion in your lifetime? I mean, just said one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm saying in your 75 years, you would not get to a billion. We can't even comprehend a billion. And there's a hundred billion galaxies with over a hundred million stars in each. What I'm saying is we know more about the magnitude and the awesomeness of this creation than we ever have. And yet we're less and less impressed with God. We learn at creation that God is all-powerful. We learn that God is good. God is good. Now, there's several aspects to his goodness. First of all, he is morally good. He's upright. He's pure. He is in his character. He is a good God. We, we, we know that. But it's also dealing with what he does. We know what God does is good. 
He does good things and he is good to us. He's compassionate and considerate. And we see that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Um, Obviously, as he created the creation, he has the ability, the power to command his creation. He is sovereign in all these things. So, letter B there, God created the heavens. Now, you notice uh, in the word of God that the heavens is, is plural, uh, dealing with more than one. Uh, and just a, a note here I'm plugging in because I wasn't sure where to put it because we don't know exactly when they were created, but he created angels sometime before or concurrently with the very beginning. Maybe right there uh, when he created the heavens because the heavens are where angels dwell. Maybe he created the, the, the angels at that time. But we know according to the book of Job, and I've given you these references there, um, that uh, the sons of God, that would be the angels, shouted for joy. In Job 38, verses 4 through 7, he says, Where wast thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? He says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And he goes on to describe when I stretched it out, when I, when I set the bounds of it, when, when, I, when, I, when I built the world in verse number six, he said, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? He said, what, what, what holds all this together? How is it that the sun and moon stay where they're supposed to stay? Who, who's holding all of this together when I did all this or laid the cornerstone thereof? When I laid the cornerstone of earth, where, where were you then? He says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So he describes there that the angels shouted for joy as creation was taking place and rejoicing in what God did. And so we don't know exactly when angels were created, but possibly right here at the very beginning. Uh, you know, we don't know for sure, but it, they were certainly present as God was creating other things because they were shouting for joy. Now, the heavens, uh, as a plural, the the Bible speaks of three heavens. There's three heavens mentioned in the Bible. The first heaven is home to birds and clouds. Birds and clouds. That's our atmosphere that we breathe. That's that's what we look up into, and this just basically could call it the sky. That first heaven, this uh, area here that we get to view, the clouds that bring rain and the birds that exist there. The references I've given you, Daniel chapter 4 and verse number 12, he says, The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beast of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the bowls thereof, and all flesh was fed on it. So the, the fowls in the heaven, describing the, that area that's above, right above our heads as the heaven. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is home to the sun, moon, and stars. And this described in these passages of scriptures I've given you there. Psalms 19, verse number one says, the chief musician, a Psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So we see the heavens, the sun, moon, and the stars, these things, the millions of galaxies that show the handiwork of God. Then the third heaven is home to God, angels, and departed saints. The third heaven. We see that described for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 2. He says, I knew a man of Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such in one caught up to the third heaven. 
the third heaven. So he's describing there the third heaven. So these are the three aspects of the heavens that are mentioned, but God created the heavens here, and we'll, we'll see that as we're going through the six days of creation. As we begin with this, I want you to know that we're talking about six literal days of creation, okay? Uh, it's, it's not, we're going to talk about some of the false theories uh, another day, but it's six literal 24-hour days, and uh, there's lots of theories and adjustments that we're going to talk about that, that I believe are false, that what we're talking about is 24-hour periods. Uh, the Bible interpretation demands it. The Hebrew and Greek scholars that have studied the scriptures uh, have stated very clearly uh, that there is no margin for what people have described with regards to the gap theory or the day age theory or these things. They don't fit into the interpretation of scripture. There's no room in the, in the, in the language for that. Um, and we'll talk about that a little more, but it's important that we know that. Then Moses also described it as a six-day period in Exodus 20, verse number 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them is and rested the seventh day, whereof the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, um, so we see here he describes just these six days of creation. The first day of creation... Uh, mentioned here in verses 3 through 5. Somebody want to read that for us? This would be great to get you uh, back caught up. I've been cranking uh, through the beginning here. Andrew, you want to read that? So he describes here this, the evening and the morning were the first day, verses 3 through 5, the first day of creation. We know that God created light and divided it from the darkness. So God created light on that day, and then God separated the light from the darkness on that day. Uh, God, God called the light day, and God called the darkness night. Now, it's noteworthy here that the sun was not created yet. In our mind, we, we just automatically picture, well, God created light, and we think the sun. The sun wasn't created until day four. So God created light without the sun. The sun, he, he, he gave light to, to be able to do all that it does for us, but light was present. And I think it's possible that God did this so that men would have a very clear understanding that he was the source of light. Uh, I mean, how many people groups nations through the years have worshipped the sun god. I mean, you think about all of what the sun does for us uh, and how consistent and faithful the sun is coming up same time every day. I mean, you can do it like clockwork. They can tell you what time the sun is going to crack the eastern sky, you know, next year on Wednesday the 18th. I mean, it's just they, they can tell you exactly because it's so consistent. And, and people could see that and begin to worship that. And uh, I think God was establishing the fact that he was the source of light. In James chapter 1 and verse number 17, he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift coming from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. The one who created and established all the light that there is, God, so light was there. We know according to Revelation that in heaven there's not a sun and that source of lights is not present. But we're not going to need it because God is there. He is the father of lights. 
And you say, well, how does that work? I, that's one of those things I can't explain. But the Bible tells us that, so I believe it. And uh, so it's amazing that the sun wasn't created. It's just noteworthy there. We see the second day of creation here. Somebody want to read verses 6, 7, and 8? Somebody besides Andrew? You guys just want to sit and, and soak it all in, huh? You don't want to participate, don't want to. <laughs> I want to know that you're engaged. Uh, Miss Kim, you want to read it for us? Oh, the other Kim, sorry. <laughs> I was looking at this one and then you started reading. You, you'll get the next one. I'm sorry, go ahead, Kim. So he's describing the second day. I think it's important that we see this. I mean, this is not a class on biblical creationism. We don't have time for that. We could spend a lot of time really digging into a lot of this stuff and, and uh, talking about some things. But we just want to touch these. We want to see it in the Word of God as God is establishing the world. So we, he, he created the firmament. The firmament is the sky. It literally means space. Uh, the space uh, here, he divided the space. God divided the space between the waters from above the firmament and below the firmament. So some would describe that or uh, would call that like the clouds that hold all the vapor in the air, that God divided that so that, that there was space there and the water that was up in the sky could be there and the water that was down on earth could be there. The earth at this time was pretty much covered with water. Uh, but there's a secondary aspect. There's a whole other thing with regards to creation, and that is the, uh, the vapor barrier, which uh, is believed to have been around the earth during the beginning uh, from creation until the flood. And that's where the large amount of water came from, from for the flood because there was a vapor barrier which acted as a screen for us, for humans during the beginning years. And that's why they lived so long because the sun wasn't deteriorating their skin. They, the radiation, the things that comes from the sun that hurt, that hurt us was protected because of that vapor barrier. And so man during the Genesis period could live many, many, many more years than we live uh, because that vapor barrier was present. And we were kind of like in a, uh, like a greenhouse effect. And so earth was much different then than it is now. Um, but that's the dividing of the water above and below. Then we have the third day of creation, um, Genesis 9 through 13. Uh, Miss Kim, that's a longer passage. You want to read that one? <laughs> So the third day of creation, we see here that God created land and plant life, land and plant life. These were created here on the third day. 
the land was formed. Again, in the first, uh, the second day, the waters were separated. By and large, the earth was covered with water. There was a vapor canopy or the water that was up in the sky. Then God said, okay, on the third day, he divided the land and the waters. And then land appeared and God was able to build and to uh, create, sorry, I should use the word create, plant life. Now, I want you to know that land was formed and plants were created fully grown and able to produce after their kind. So these weren't seeds that God planted at this point. God created plant life, all of its various forms and, and all that. And uh, they were able at creation, he says very clearly, to bring forth after their kind. So they were ready at that point to drop seeds and fully grown, ready to produce after their kind so that the earth could continue to grow and develop. So... Um, the third day here, God created land, plant life. Uh, then we get to the fourth day of creation um, in verses 14 through 19. I'll read that for you, verses 14 through 19. He says, And God said, Let there be light and the firmament of the heaven uh, to divide the day from night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the great light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set uh, them in the firmament from the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So here we see God created the sun, moon, and stars. On the fourth day, God created sun, moon, and stars. I want you to know that he made them for us, not over us. They're over us in the aspect that they're above our heads, but they're not over us to rule over us. And, and that's pertinent because we're going to talk just a little bit about this idea of those that believe that uh, the stars are ruling our lives, that astrology is somehow guiding our days, and you've got to get up in the morning and read your horoscope and find out what the stars say. And people say, well, it must not have been in the stars, you know, or, or whatever, and the stars are dictating what's happening in our life. But this is, this is false uh, for sure. God made these things, created them. We see he made two great lights. He describes that for us. He made two great lights. He made these, the sun and the moon, and he made them for a purpose, he made them for several things. First of all, he made them to measure time. He describes that for us, to measure time. And the lights mark days for us. One of the hard things I can imagine about being in Alaska and places like that that have so many days of the year that it's all dark. Uh, I don't know that God intended for us to live in places like that. <laughs> but, but uh, I mean, he knew what he was doing when he, when he created the earth. And there was going to be places on earth that didn't get sun for a period of years, uh, a period of the year. Uh, but he, these days mark days and nights, and then he mark, they were made to mark seasons. We see the passing of seasons, the years, and uh, how the time progresses. They also were made for signs. Now, as I said, beloved, this is not signs like people look up into the stars and try and get rules for their life or guidance for their days. It's not that kind of a sign. That's not what he's talking about. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, he says, Hear ye the word of the Lord, speak unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen, 
And be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. So he's saying that the heathen are the ones that look at the heavens and say, oh, oh boy, look at what the stars are saying today. Boy, we, can, we, we can't take a trip today because the stars aren't in line. Or we can't do this because of that. No, that, we are not to learn the way of the heathen. That's not what God was talking about when he said he made these for signs. Well, what was God talking about? Let me, I, did I give you Isaiah 47 verses 12 through 13? Is that in your notes? Okay, I just want to make sure you know that, that God mocked those who looked at the stars at Babylon. He, he mocked and made fun of them. We're not going to read that. We're going to move on. We see that uh, the signs that God gave us were to show us his handiwork. We read a, a verse regarding that just a minute ago uh, about the handiwork of God. I'm backing up here in, uh, in Psalms 19, verse number one, he says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the ferment showeth his handiwork. It's to show his handiwork, to see what God is doing. In Psalms 8, verses 3 through 8, it's uh, describing that. It says, When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? He says, God, when I consider the fact that you set these stars in heaven, and you built, the, you, you created the sun, and you created the moon, and they, the way that this magnificence of all this, how is it that you're concerned, or even give any thought of me? He says here, thou madest him, uh, talking about man, uh, he says, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over thy works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. So we see it's a sign of God's handiwork. We know it also was a sign of Christ's arrival. We're not going to turn there and look at that, but you guys know the story in Luke chapter 2 and how God used uh, the star to show the sign of his son's birth, that his son was coming. And then we see it as a sign of Christ's return, a sign of Christ's return. Then we get to the fifth day, on the fifth day of creation, uh, verses 20 to 23, he says, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that hath life and fowl that might fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God cre created great whales. It's notable that God even mentions here in creation that he created these whales. The largest animal in the ocean did not grow over millions of millions of years. God created it. It was done. Whales were present. Uh, he said, And every living creature that moveth, which the water brought forth abundantly, and after their kind, every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful. We're going to stop at 20. Well, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters and the seas and the fowl. Let them multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning was the fifth day. So we see the fifth day uh, come to a conclusion here that God created fish and fowl on the fifth day. All marine life was created on this day, from the minnow to the marlin, uh, you know, from the sardine to the shark. Amen. God created it all. Uh, uh, on that day at one time, and they were, again, fully grown, ready to bring forth after their kind. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Um, then on the sixth day of creation, uh, verses 24 to 31, this is where we see uh, man created. Uh, John, you want to read that for me?
So on the sixth day of creation, we see God created animals and mankind. Animals and mankind. All animals were created to bring forth after their own kind. Man was created in the image of God. I, I want you to note this here, that plants had unconscious life. We know that a plant is living or, you know, you've got some silk plants around your house. Those don't have life. They're plants, but they don't have life. God created plants that had unconscious life. But animals had conscious life. Animals had life, but they were given conscious life. They are aware of the fact that they're alive and want to try and stay that way. They have the instinct for self-preservation. But man has self-conscious life. Man, created in the image of God, is aware of himself, of all of his presence and all that God has given. And I, I brought a whole message on this aspect of being created in the image of God, where man is created as a picture, that we are like God, we're a picture of him, a triune being, that we were created with the position to rule over this earth, given dominion over the earth, and created with a purpose. God has a purpose for man uh, to please him and glorify him uh, in their life. And so man was created in the image of God. Some other notes there with his decent moral nature, uh, with duty to rule, with his design as a triune being. Now, the seventh day God rested. We're going to conclude this here with a couple minutes we have left. Uh, The only place in the Bible that uh, we see that God rested. But I want you to understand that this is not uh, because God needed to sleep. It was not because he was wore out. Uh, What he's saying is the job was done. He rested his work. The work on creation was complete. He looked and saw that it was all very good, he said. And so God rested. He, he stopped creating. And that was a conclusion of his effort. Uh, in Isaiah 40, 28, we're not going to read it, but it talks about that, how God does not weary. God doesn't get weary. Um, he's not taking a nap. Uh, So God knows, okay, the Sabbath, uh, it's noteworthy, was not instituted here at creation. Um, A lot of times it's referenced or talked about from the aspect of the Sabbath day being the day of rest and God rested on the seventh day, but it's noteworthy the Sabbath was not instituted at creation. Um, God didn't need physical rest. He wasn't setting a pattern or an example for us. This is what he's talking about is he rested his, cre- rested his work on creation. The Sabbath was not instituted until Exodus, uh, where God, uh, it was made as a sign for the children of Israel. And so that relationship and what they were doing, God was giving them direction there. So uh, Genesis does not mention the Sabbath anywhere. And uh, if you'll note, I mean, how many... Uh, years do we have here? You got 2,000 years, uh, plus or minus a little bit. You add about 300 or whatever to get to here to the end of Genesis. So you got about 2,000 years of history where the Sabbath is not part of, of of anything because it was not until God established the nation of Israel and He gave them their laws and made that as a sign between them. Okay, it was a sign between God and Israel. Uh, it's not binding on New Testament believers, the Sabbath day, in observance of that. It's not binding on New Testament believers. Okay, biblical creation directly opposes, and I just gave you a couple of things here, uh, atheism. Obviously, it's in direct opposition to atheism because atheism says there no, is no God. Well, no, it can't be because God created everything. It directly opposes agnosticism. Agnostics say they can't know. They don't know whether there's a God or not. We just don't know. At least they're willing to admit that they just don't know. But 
creation and the creation account given to us uh, is very clear. God tells us. So we can know. If you don't know, it's because you've chosen not to. Because God's told us. We know where it came from. And it directly goes against pantheism, which is the idea that God is in everything. That that pulpit, chunk of wood right there, is just as valuable as me because it is God as well as I am God. Pantheism, God is in everything. Well, it's not because God created everything. And God created man and gave him dominion over creation. So it directly stands in opposition to that. Now, next week, we're going to deal with some of the false speculations of evolution. I've given you those notes already so that you can kind of peruse those. And hopefully, we'll go through those pretty quickly next week. Our next, there's not any new notes for today. We are concluding the notes that were handed out uh, last week. And so... Just on the, what's the title, uh, formation, uh, Genesis, the beginning there, the formation period is what we are studying and looking at. And we dealt last week with the true story of creation, which we, uh, of course, know that that comes directly from God and the Word of God. And we ended up and concluded with the false speculation of evolution is where we're picking up today, the false speculation of evolution. And uh, so we're just going to walk through this. I don't have a lot of blanks for you as we talk about this this morning because I, I just wanted you to have the information there and to be able to, uh, you know, not be worried about trying to fill in. And I'm not sure how quickly we'll go through this, but uh, probably pretty, pretty quickly here. Uh, the Big Bang Theory is the first one there. There's a blank there, but the Big Bang Theory. Uh, so the thesis, now these uh, thesis here are not copied from a website. They weren't taken from BigBang.com or something. They're from my research, and I just kind of uh, summarized the basic belief behind the idea that's being presented. So these are kind of, they're not a scientific definition is what I'm saying. They're not out of a dictionary about creation or something like that. So if you look and see some various things from other places, that's certainly understandable. I am not a scientist, uh, and this is just kind of my synopsis of, of what I would take away from what they teach on these things. So the thesis here is that many billions of years ago, there was a singularity event that exponentially expanded at many times the speed of light, setting in motion the very slow but eventual formation of all that we see today. That's the basic theory of the Big Bang Theory. So here's some thoughts for you that kind of take that thesis and kind of lay it out and give you some information about what it is. So there existed, uh, <laughs> the first time I read this, okay, and I put in your notes there, I think, an infinitesimal, uh, okay, uh, but that is my word that I stuck in there because I read this from them and, and it said a dimensionless point. And the first time I read it, I thought it said a decimal point. Uh, uh, of, you know, and I looked at it and that's what I saw and I went through and so I'm typing up my notes and I'm like, well, decimal point, infinitesimally small in comparison to creation. So they were describing that this little bitty thing was all, you know, all this heat and energy was compact in this small, but their actual word was dimensionless. Not sure what that means, but a dimensionless point or singularity of infinite density and temperature. So there was an infinite density of something that had an immeasurable amount of density in it. Okay, that was struck with quantum fluctuations 
which caused the Big Bang. Um, and I thought it takes faith to believe creation. Uh, you know, where did, where did the decimal point or the dimensionless point come from? Uh, where did the quantum fluctuations come from? What caused those? Uh, how, how did all of this energy and heat and mass get into this tiny little dot that somehow was going to explode and expand exponentially? Uh, but anyways, this exponential growth at many times the speed of light, the, the, the mathematical equation that they use to describe how fast uh, this thing explosion happened and how quickly it expanded out, um, is beyond my even comprehension to even state. If I had it written here right in front of me, I couldn't even tell you what it said. Um, but, uh, you know, they're just saying this thing exploded and this huge, massive explosion expanding so many times the speed of light suddenly released an immense amount of energy which formed subatomic particles. Okay, somehow this dot of energy that was tiny, that exploded which we don't know where it came from uh, or how it exploded, but it exploded and expanded, and somehow that explosion and expansion created subatomic particles. After millions of years, these subatomic particles floating freely around in space began to combine to form atoms. Another 700 million years, and gravitational pull caused some of these atoms to join with hydrogen, helium, lithium, and deuterium. They did not explain or give any information as to where hydrogen, helium, lithium, and deuterium came from. It's just all of a sudden now they're present. They're there. Uh, and these things floating freely around in space, gravitational pull, where did gravity come from? You know, gravity on Earth is established by the movement of the planets and the rotation of the Earth and all that. But where did gravity come from if that wasn't, wasn't around yet? So there was gravitational pull that made these things combine together uh, and form the first stars, okay? Another nine billion years, and suddenly, I don't know what suddenly, about nine billion years, but suddenly a cloud of gas and dust shrank, fusing together, and began to give off light, obviously forming the sun, this Things, these, these dust and things floating around in earth began to fuse together and began to give off light. No explanation as to how that happened, but the, then the rest of the particles floating around the sun eventually formed planets, including earth. After a few more million years, the burning planets cooled, and this process formed... Uh, Water or water just miraculously formed. Is Pastor Gus up there? Uh, do you have that graphic that I that I? This is from creation.com, uh, and I don't know how well you can see it. For some, I know looking back there, I can't hardly even see any of that. But obviously, you have the six days of creation on the bottom, as we've defined and talked about already. And then here's kind of a description of the Big Bang theory. You have this huge Big Bang. According to this graphic, 13 billion years ago, 13.8, then right at, after 8 billion years, the stars formed, another 4.8 billion years, and the sun formed, 
Another 4.5 billion years, uh, Earth was formed. 3.8 billion years, uh, then the first oceans were formed. And then now you have early life uh, showed up on Earth. Um, that's their explanation or definition of this. Um, beloved, the truth is, the Big Bang falls woefully short on even the most basic science principles. The most basic principles of science. From the introduction of the Big Bang Theory, which was in 1917, just so you know, this hasn't been around for all of history or something. It was introduced in 1917. Uh, there has arisen one problem after another. All scientific research done from 1917 till now has not uh, offered any validity to the Big Bang Theory. It has continued to introduce problems to the Big Bang Theory, which they have to find a way to explain. Just continually through history, they keep coming up with ways to explain why the Big Bang Theory would work, even though it doesn't line up with even the most fundamental and basic science. It contradicts the first law of thermodynamics, that energy can neither be created nor destroyed, only change from one form to another. When they get hit with something very basic and fundamental like that, ultimately they have nothing else to argue, and so it becomes a statement of, well, science, the laws of science have not held true through all these billions of years. Somewhere back there, the laws changed. So it's an established law of science that's unchangeable now that you cannot find any variance in, yet somehow, sometime in the past, it didn't function that way that things didn't fall into that, that way. Uh, it contradicts the second law of thermodynamics, which probably we're more familiar with, that the universe is gradually wearing out, left to itself, in isolated system will tend towards greater and greater entropy. Um, the fact of the matter is, as things left to themselves fall apart. Uh, they digress. But somehow the whole of evolution theory would have everyone just ignore the facts and embrace the lie. And it is, it's a lie. It's really, I'm sorry, but studying this just got me mad. Because they are teaching this as fact to our children in the schools. And now for generations, we've had generations of people being taught this 100% Somebody just, just an individual, just some guy, which I had his name, I don't have it right here in front of me, but in 1917, he's actually a Catholic priest that was a scientist as well, introduced, just came up with this theory of the expansion of the universe. I could make that up. You could make it up. It's just some guy just randomly decided to just generate some way to explain the existence of the world outside of God. And now it's being taught in schools as fact. And it frustrates me. You know, you go and you, you, you see, uh, you know, any type of, you go to any national park and their spiels drive me nuts. I always correct them. They'll, they'll get up there and they'll talk about, okay, 25 billion years ago, this was just a little hill, 
and then, uh, you know, 13 million years ago, it began to start expanding and growing, and, and, and somewhere around 100 million years ago or whatever, it, was, it, was, it became this mountain or whatever. There, and I, I'm like, excuse me, where's your proof of that? What, what is that? You're telling all these people that this thing's been here for, for you know, billions of years, and uh, you know that that evolution is just a theory, which is a story. Yes. The other sad part of this is that um, my children, when growing up, when I was homeschooling them, Christian co-opted, believed accidentally that the Bible was back. However, I taught science, and talking about the formation of the human body, I said evolution is a false truth. I got reprimanded for that because I was homeschooling Christians. I could not. Bible, and if you can't believe the beginning of Genesis and what it says, and that the seventh day creation, sixth day creation, how can you believe the rest of the Bible? I mean, it's based on that. Right. Yes, there is a lot. Bob? Well, there's one thing no evolutionist can explain. Why did it stop? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, why did it stop? Where, where did it stop? Um, you know, the big explosion, you know, when something in Earth, if something explodes, it's going to expand out until ultimately there's no more energy and it's going to fall because of gravitation. In space, if something's expanding out and there is no resistance, it's just going to continue to expand. So at what point and how did it all of a sudden stop and turn around and start to come back together and form something? Reggie? Darwin is the, the largest proponent of evolutional theory that put it into print and got it out there. Right, he is the father of modern evolution theory. Yes, you're right. Um, so here's a couple of questions you can ask. I put them there in your notes just when somebody comes to you about this stuff is where did the singularity come from? It, you know, it's almost like if they put enough big words in there, somehow it's believable. You know, where, where, did, quantum, where did the quantum fluctuations come from? Uh, what were they fluctuating? Uh, since it was, there was nothing there, it was empty. Uh, what caused the bang ultimately, and then what stopped it? Um, then, in my research here, uh, another question is, what is dark matter and where did it come from? Now, we didn't address this, but this is one of the theories that evolutionists use to explain dark matter is the unseen and unknown substance that causes the unexplained. <laughs> I'm reading from them. Dark matter is the un unseen, unknown substance. I wish I would have known about that when I was a kid. <laughs> would have saved me a lot of spankings. <laughs> Dad, dark matter did it. <laughs> This is unexplained. We don't know how it happened. Uh, I don't know. The late uh, Stephen Hawkins wrote this. The Catholic Church has seized upon the Big Bang model in 1951, officially pronouncing it to be in accordance with the Bible. He went on to say how he uh, was speaking at a conference of cosmetology at the Vatican in 1981. I don't know how anybody that would say, well, we believe in God, would have Stephen Hawkins come and teach. He stood vehemently against God 
and creation. But he was speaking at the Vatican in 1981 uh, and then was given audience with the Pope. The Pope said to him, the moment of creation, I'm sorry, the Big Bang was the moment of creation and therefore the work of God. So he was saying that, well, these two thoughts are reconcilable because what you would describe as the Big Bang, I'm going to say God caused the Big Bang, and so God created the world. But he did it through evolution. The Big Bang theory and all of its information is correct, just God's the one that made things explode. Um, the problem, beloved, is when people, Christians, try and reconcile this book, God's word, God's word will stand by itself. We don't need to try and, we don't need science to give validity to God's word. I don't care what science says. I believe God and what God says. And one day when we all pass away and we are standing before that judge, then we'll know the truth. And there may be some things that I misunderstand from the scriptures or don't, don't quite get correct. But ultimately, uh, some man's made up theory about how the world came into existence is going to be proven to be wrong. And it's just mind-boggling how many people try. it. Like somehow it adds to their faith if we can connect what the world is saying, that the world came into existence with Christianity. We don't need that to have faith, to know what God said. Then you have the day-age theory. This is, we're getting here into where you'd have a lot more. The gap theory is kind of far out there. And unless, you know, children were, people were educated in the public school and completely bought into that, um, you know, it's mind-boggling to me. I've had many conversations with Christians that are like, what's wrong with the public school? Okay, well, from the very beginning, the foundational truths that they are teaching everything from is false. Okay, and everything they're teaching is based off of that. It comes from that. But by and large, I think Christians are not maybe buying into the gap theory itself, but they want to take evolutional theory and combine it with the Bible and make the two kind of coexist. And that's partly here in the day-age theory. Okay, the, theory, the thesis is this, that each day of creation is a thousand years or more. Therefore, it took evolution or God many thousands of years to form the earth. Okay, obviously the thought is that a day, according to 2 Peter 3.8, is as a thousand years. Uh, he says in 2 Peter 3.8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that a day is with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. And there are some that would take this a step further and say, okay, it's not even just a thousand years because it says as a thousand years. So it's really an indeterminate, immeasurable amount of time. Could be millions of years. And so they're trying to introduce the seven, six days of creation and saying that, well, each day is as a thousand years or really an immeasurable amount of time because God is not limited by days. So when God says a day, it could easily be a thousand years or maybe many, many more days. So that day-age theory is, yes, it's a day, but it could exist of much, much more time because God is not bound by time. Uh, beloved, the very clear teaching of this verse is that God's not bound by time. It's not a, a uh, definition or an explanation or anything about creation in Genesis. It's the fact that, that God is not bound by time. He says in Psalms 90 verse number 4, For a thousand years in the sight 
are in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past. That, that a day is as a thousand years or a thousand years is as a day for God. He's not bound by time. He established time for us, but somebody who is eternally existent is not bound by time. So some stand partially on the day-age theory, believing that a day of creation took place. They would say, well, yes, creation took place in a 24-hour period. However, we don't know how much time there is between each day. So each day of creation is a 24-hour day, but there's a lot of time in between each day that we can't know about. And so, again, trying to reconcile the two. The truth is, beloved, when you look at biblical interpretation of the Bible, the literal interpretation of the Scriptures, it, it, it does not, through the book of Genesis there, Hebrew scholars have shown the language to be consistent with a progression of consistent time. There's no margin for delays or uh, gaps or any of these things. Uh, scripture would not lend itself to being interpreted this way. Um, they're taking the verse that's speaking about God not being bound by time and trying to apply it to creation. Okay, then you have the gap theory. The gap theory. This is one step even further where a uh, lot more Christians jump on this. Uh, the thesis. This is that there is a gap uh, that exists between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. If you have your Bibles, look at that uh, in Genesis 1-1. He says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So the description is that God created the heaven and the earth, and that is like a blanket statement. God created it all. And then they say there's a gap there, a huge gap. And then it says, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. So they postulate that there is a gap between verses 1 and 2 in which many things happened. And so let me give you those thoughts here, the thoughts. The gap theorists teach that uh, during this gap right here is where Lucifer fell. And God judged that creation, that God destroyed it, that there was a catastrophic event that took place. The creation that God made initially was created all at one time, and then Satan fell, and then there's many different descriptions as to what takes place during this gap. Um, but in this Luciferian world, they called it, where Lucifer was in charge, God destroyed it, and then he remade the world in a six-day, 24-hour period creation, which begins in verse 2 and goes on. Okay, some people call this the ruin and reconstruction theory, that in verse 1, God created it all, then there was a problem, and God destroyed it, and then in verse number 2, we started creation all over again. Um, supporters of this theory claim that God would not have created anything that was imperfect, Therefore, they consider the phrase that without form and void, uh, there's two thoughts here. They say the without form and void means it has the implication of destruction of a catastrophic state. They're, they're again, trying to draw and come up with something to explain this. They maintain that God created the world in verse number one when something happened what they like to do is they, they take the, I think I put in your notes here the wrong thing. It says in verse number one, 
Gap theorists claim the word translated was, in verse 1, should be translated became. It's actually verse number 2, sorry. And the earth was without form and void. So that word was, according to Strong's, can be translated uh, to be as simply a statement of, you know, I was standing here. I was here. Uh, or it can be translated to become or became. And they want to take the second translation and apply it to this and say, okay, God created the world and then it became without form or void. Now you see by changing that one, world, one word what happens? It became without. So everything was there, but it became without form and void. And why did that happen? Well, because there was a problem. Again, there's nothing in the Word of God to teach this, to support this, to in any way give any validity to this, and yet they teach it to be so. Um, Gap theorists jump down to verse number 28, and there where God says to man that he is supposed to uh, replenish the earth, it implies that the earth must have been populated ahead of time. Um, Let me see. And God blessed them, And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. So they imply there, though, that R-E there, that replenish the earth means that there must have been people there before. And so now God is saying replenish. You need to repopulate the world because the world is no longer in existence. Well, a, a simple study of etymology uh, and you go back to when the Bible was translated, and that word in and of itself uh, in that time period does not have the implication of redoing something like it does in society today, uh, very simply stated. Um, so this theory gained popularity in the 1700s and the early to mid-1800s when geologists began to claim that the earth was many, many millions of years old. Uh, these scientists, which had so many letters behind their names and were said to be you know, experts in their fields, were saying, oh, look at this. We found this rock, and carbon dating says that this rock uh, is you know, 200 million years old or something. And so now all of a sudden, creationists had to find a way to say, wait, where can we find all that missing time? And so they had to try and come up with a way to make the Bible line up with, with, with science. Listen, if science disagrees with the Bible, science is wrong. We don't need to try and make the scriptures line up with science. That's okay. It's okay if it doesn't line up. I, I don't, I'm not secure in my faith because a scientist says the Bible is right. I'm secure in my faith because God says it's right. And there was a a, a real movement at that time period to say, wait a minute, there's a whole bunch of missing time then. Now, carbon dating has proved to be a farce. I mean, you just do a little research on it. There's been people that have taken rocks that were carbon dated at 200 million years ago, proven science, stamped on the rock 200 years, and they had them retested, and they were carbon dated millions of years different than the first time. Like, oh, how did that happen? Well, it's because... There is no validity to it. They cannot determine. Obviously, rocks haven't been here that long. So uh, it's a farce. But anyways, the, the reason that I'm taking a little bit of time with this is it's very sad. Um, I, we sell this in the bookstore. 
Okay, this is a Schofield Reference Bible. And I like Schofield. I can tell you 99.9% of what Schofield says is right on the money. Okay? Um, but in 1917, when there was a lot of pressure in the world regarding this carbon dating and the age of the earth and men trying to find a way to combine the two, C.I. Schofield bought into it. And uh, if you happen to look in your Schofield Reference Bible, if you have it, in Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And then his notes, Schofield's notes, right underneath verse number 1, says, Earth made waste and empty by judgment. So there's the gap. He's saying between verse 1 and verse number 2, Earth was made waste and empty by judgment. And then in verse number two, it says, and the earth was without form and void. And if you read the notes that he has underneath there with regards to that, he gives a brief explanation as to the, the gap in the judgment of God here in between those two verses. It was the time frame that he was living in. It was the pressures of society and the people around. Um, we sell this in a bookstore, and, and I think Schofield Reference Bible is a great Bible. So don't... Uh, you know, say, oh, great, I bought a junk Bible. What am I going to do now? I got to get, no, I, I would still encourage anybody to buy a Schofield Reference Bible. But you need to be aware, you need to know what you believe. And uh, I hope you believe in the creation that God created the earth, and we don't need science to validity, to give validity to God's definition of this, okay? Several truths regarding this. Um, First of all, the Bible does not disagree with science. It is science who disagrees with the Bible. Okay? Uh, Hebrew experts agree that the grammar of Genesis verses 1 through 3 do not allow for any gap. Uh, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I cannot describe that. I'm just telling you that Hebrew experts that know the language say that there's nothing in the Hebrew that would allow for a gap between there. Um, we look at, you know, the other thing is chapter and verses are not uh, ordained. They're, they're not inspired. The chapter and verses were put in. There's many places where a, a verse will end and the sentence doesn't end. The sentence goes right on into the next verse. Or even into the next chapter. The same sentence will just keep on going into the next chapter. So chapter and verses were put there for our organization. They're, they're not inspired by God. And so to try and draw a theory out of something that doesn't exist, you know, is, is, is not wise. Did you? Right, context is always, always very, very important. Um, so then the Hebrew word, which I'm not even going to try and say, but it's spelled out there for you, it's in your notes, uh, should not be translated became. 
uh, because this is not its primary meaning. It's a secondary meaning that it could mean. Um, and a translator is not entitled to expand the field into secondary meanings. I mean, that we don't get the liberty to just choose which meaning we, we would like. Um, in Genesis 128 and 1611, replenish did not carry the same uh, connotations of doing something again as it does today. It should be rendered or looked at as to mean completely or completely fill, such as rendered in 122. Okay, the fossil record stands against the gap theory. Uh, fossils, fossils, and here's the thing you need to understand. Fossils that were filled with disease, thorns, and death. How could this be? if sin did not enter the world until chapter number 3. So in one way, they're saying, hey, there's a fossil record given to us here that, that dates the earth, that's showing the earth is much older than we thought it was. Um, but here we have disease and all of these things showing up in the fossil record. They can find animals and their carcasses and can determine what they died from. Well, if we don't have uh, sin and death in the world until chapter 3, then how did that happen? Uh, further, if uh, you, know, you want to put the gap theory there and say that this is a Luciferian world and that Lucifer fell sometime way back here, uh, and Genesis, is it 131 or 231, where he says it was all very good? 30, 131, he says, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. So at the end of chapter number 1, God looks at everything he made, and he said it was very good. Okay, so at that point, Satan had not fallen yet. Or God would not describe all of what he created as very good. Uh, Satan hadn't fallen yet at, at that point. And so that's a thing. So the fossil record stands against that. Genesis 1.31, the close of creation, everything is very good. So we see here, I need to fly through the rest of this, the original structure for man. This is often looked at as the dispensation of in innocence, this is the foundation of everything that we're proceeding to continue to learn. It was a time without sin. We're not sure how long it lasted, but not very long. I mean, the estimates, you know, obviously it's just an estimate. We really don't know. Uh, but obviously it's inside of Adam and Eve's lifetime, and they fellowship with God for a while. Some would say less than a couple of years. Uh, we really don't know how long it lasted, but there was a time of innocence, a time where the world as God designed it was created and meant to be, and they functioned in that way. Um, I don't have time to teach on this very much, but it's in your notes, so I'm going to give it to you. There's a couple of things where they, people say there's some differences or contradictions between Genesis 1 and 2. These are not contradictory, they're complementary. Um, Genesis 1 and 2. I mention this because as you guys start doing your own study, you're going to find somebody say, oh, well, the Bible's not true because here's some contradictions. And I want you to have that settled in your heart and mind. There, there's not contradictions there. They're complementary. One of the contradictions, uh, well, chapter 1 is an overview of all six days. Chapter 2 is a detailed look at the six days. Um, and one of the contradictions are, if you want to write these down, Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 31. And Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 19. So in Genesis 1, 24 to 31, it makes it very clear that God um, created there man. We're going to look at that some in um, the... I need to look at it. I'm going to mess this up. Genesis 1, 24. All right, so here... It, 
in verse number 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after his kind and cattle and creeping things and beasts and earth after their kind. So he's going through and God is very clearly making animals first here, right? So then man is created. But if you go to chapter 2 in verses 18 and 19, it uh, kind of says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a help me for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. And they go, wait. There's a problem there. In chapter 1, it was very clear that God created animals first and then man. And now you read these two verses, and man was created and then animals. No, this is just a description of what God had already done. God created the earth in chapter 1, giving uh, an explanation of all six days. And now this is just kind of reiterating that, hey, now God created man, uh, created man and then he formed every animal, and then... After man was created, he brought the animals to Adam to Eve, um, to Adam and Eve, but to, to name. And so they would look at that and say, there's a problem in the timeline there, so it's not correct. But it's not because chapter 1 is, is looking at the six days. Chapter 2 is a very detailed look at God's establishing his role for man and what they were going to be doing. And so just wanted to point that out. And there's some other small ones, but again, hopefully you have it settled in your mind. Now, man was given the garden to live in. Uh, this shows God's love and concern for his creation. Eden was located near the origins of the Tigris and Euphrates River. We showed you that on a map a couple weeks ago in, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. Um, describes that region, and that's where Bible scholars believe uh, that it probably was. Okay, so man was fellowshipping with God in the garden. He had a perfect God, a perfect creation, a perfect man in perfect communion. This is what God's design was and what he planned. Man was given some commands in uh, the uh, chapter number two there. He was placed under God's authority in a perfect environment without sin and all destruction uh, um, that sin brings and causes. You know, Adam and Eve knew new sin and they knew new pain. They, they knew no pain and all the problems that come with it, okay? They didn't have that. Everything that they needed for a full and happy life was present and there for them. God didn't want any robot, uh, robots, so he uh, simply gave a test in the garden, gave a way for them to prove their love. In John chapter 14, 15, he says, if you love me, do you remember? Keep my commandments. So God was testing his creation and saying, listen, I love you. Everything you need is here. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, thou shalt not eat thereof. They were not to eat of that. And God gave them very clearly directions, a command not to eat of that tree. And they were warned of the punishment of disobedience in verse number 17. What would happen if they disobeyed? Now, also, man was given marriage in chapter 2 and verses 20 to 25. And we're going to look at that more in the morning service this morning. Um, so I'm not going to dig down, but God established the home and the marriage. This was God's plan, and we're going to study that a little bit in the morning service. God's pattern has always been one man, one woman for one life. Uh, the leave and cleave principle was established here in the book of Genesis. A man and woman are to separate from their family and establish their own primary home. Now, let me give you here, as we bring this to a close, the summary, okay? This is the goal. This is, we've, we've studied this and looked at it, but <clears throat> what we're trying to do is we're trying to see what God was doing with his creation. This is a very brief window in, in the timeline that we're looking at, but he created the earth with a plan, by design, what he wanted to accomplish. His goals were being 
uh, laid out here. So God, who always was and always will be, wanted fellowship, and he determined he was going to build a kingdom over which he would rule, through which he would get glory, and in which he would have fellowship with his creation. That's what God wanted. And then God created some angelic beings that would serve him. These beings were angels. They were spirit beings. They did not possess bodies. Uh, they do possess the ability to communicate, and they were given positions of authority, different levels of authority, different positions. And it's not a study about, on angels, but they were part of God's creation. Although they dwelled in heavenly places, they were also given access to earth. This is important because we're going to get to the fall next week and recognize what happened here. Now, God created human beings. They were created in the image of God as a picture with a position and for a purpose. And we've taught on all those things, laying that foundation so you know that that happened, that God did that and uh, was to govern, to grow, and to glorify God. That was God's plan. That was what man was to do. Now, if we stopped right here, in time, you could say, okay, God has created his perfect kingdom. It has been established. What he wanted to do, it's here. It's in existence. Everything was good. To close of chapter number one. Everything was good that he created. He looked at that and everything was good. So this is the close of the formation period. Everything was good. God got it all done and it was established. We don't know how long exactly that lasted, but we know that we get to chapter 3 and Satan comes on the scene and we get into the fall. And the fall is what we're going to deal with next week.